The Proverbs writer said that life and death are in the power of the tongue. What a bold statement. What a powerful statement as we think about this topic this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I hope and trust that you do. I invite you to James chapter 3. This morning we will examine verses 1 through 12, and then this evening, Lord willing, we will dive into verses 13 through 18 as we break down this chapter. I appreciate Brother Reg, the time, the thought he put into picking out those songs and his ability to lead them. As we were able to teach and admonish one another with those psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. But no doubt we can learn a lot of lessons from these hymns, and certainly the last one that we, that we sang together, the lesson that we can learn about how we use our tongue can determine where we spend eternity. I want to thank everyone for being here this morning. Certainly our visitors, thank you for being with us. And you're always welcome here at Quitman. And on that note, if you have any questions about anything you observe, please let, bring that to our attention, let us know. and We'd love to give you a Bible answer for why we do what we do. I want to get right into our study this morning. A little bit different, not really an, an introduction necessarily, but dive right into the text. I want to first walk through the text. What does the text mean? And then we want to spend some time making the application. What does it mean for me as we live our lives for the Lord, as we live for Jesus? As you're there with me in James chapter 3, let's first notice that when James discusses the tongue, he discusses the fact that discipline is required. If we're going to use our tongues the way that God wants us to, discipline is required. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive the stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things verse 1 is always a powerful verse for me because when I decided to attend the Memphis school of preaching I had to fill out a form and the director of the school wanted to know if we were serious about preaching and this was the very first question read James 3 1 and ask yourselves if you're ready to become a gospel preacher my brethren let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment I want you to know that I take preaching the gospel very, very serious. And I want you to know that every sermon I preach to you, I preached it to myself already. And please know that I'm doing my best to apply this to my life as I preach it to you, and hopefully you'll apply it to yours because we're all looking at the same source. But I understand that on the day of judgment, I'm going to give an account for how I use the Word of God. If I preach the whole truth, if I preach the whole counsel of God, but all of us as Christians, we all have a responsibility, a command from God to go and to teach the lost, to go and preach the gospel to every creature, Mark 16, 15. So how we approach God's word, how we use God's word will come into play on the day of judgment. And so verse 1 is something that jumps out to us. But James uses that to describe the discipline that we need as gospel preachers, as teachers, as Christians. How we use our tongue, how we use the Word of God is very, very important. 
So it's no mistake that he begins this section with that statement. Notice that discipline is required. Remember back in James chapter 1 when James talked about true, pure, undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction to keep oneself unspotted from the world. The previous verse, James 1.26, shows the contrast. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not, same word, bridle, control his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. King James says it's vain. It's empty. It's pointless. In other words, if my words don't match my actions, if my words don't match what I truly believe, my religion is pointless. How I speak, what I say and how I say it, determines whether or not I'm a true faithful Christian or not. Again, I know that's straightforward. We talked about that. Brother Zach talked about it in Bible class. Some verses just come out and, and hit you from the Bible, don't they? Well, we need that. We need that. Reproof, correction, rebuke, exhortation. We need that from the Word of God. 2 Timothy 4.2. That's what this does for us. Discipline is required if I'm going to tame the tongue and use it as a tool to the glory of God. The Apostle Paul said, I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. The King James says, I myself should be cast away. In other words, if I'm not practicing what I preach, then I better not be preaching what I practice if I'm not actually doing it, is what he's saying. But notice he said, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. In other words, I bring it under control. Brethren and friends, we cannot control our bodies if we can't control our tongues. Again, discipline is required. Notice these examples, and you know James was a preacher. Look at all the illustrations he brings out. You, you study the illustrations of the book of James, they're incredible. Whether it's talking about the man looking into the mirror and forgetting the manner of man he was, or these examples, later on life is but a vapor. He, he likes to use these vivid illustrations. Think about these. You think about a horse, Jordan. I uh, think about the horses that she has. She talks about those horses a lot. You think about horses and how powerful they are, used for war. And we think about all the, the many things that horses can do, how strong, how powerful they are. And yet, the bits in the horse's mouth, you can turn them wherever you want to. And so horses will obey. What about a ship, a very massive ship? The fierce winds come and that ship can keep going. But the pilot, if he wants to turn that ship to the right or the left, a very small rudder on the bottom will determine where it goes. Notice how James ties that in with the whole body. The tongue is a little member, but make no mistake, it is a member of the body. If I can't control my tongue, I will not be able to control my body. As one writer put it, as the tongue goes, so goes the person. So James begins by discussing that discipline is required. In the second place, let's consider the description that is revealed. Going back to verse 5, the second part of verse 5, down through verse 8. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. And it sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Three things that jump out to us as far as the description. First, 
The tongue is described as that which destroys. That which destroys. A fire. Notice he didn't say like a fire. James says the tongue is a fire. Even more powerful to say it is a fire. It is a world of iniquity. Think about a small match. A small little fire can lead to a huge forest fire. A small word that is misplaced. A word that is said in anger can destroy a relationship of 50 years. Think of a marriage, for example. In a bit of anger to say something you really don't mean, but it comes out, can destroy it. What about members of the church? What about elders and members? What about the deacons? And what about, what about members of the church in general, brothers and sisters in Christ? That word that can tear them down and, and it puts them in a bad place spiritually. The tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. But through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. Proverbs 11 and verse 9. Notice that. How does the hypocrite destroy his neighbor? With his tongue, with his mouth. The tongue destroys. Second, notice that the tongue defiles. It is an unruly evil. Unruly evil. You remember when Jesus talked to the religious leaders and, and they said, why don't your disciples wash their hands? Why don't they transgress the tradition of the elders? And Jesus said, you're transgressing the word of God because you teach for doctrine the commandments of men, Matthew 15, 9. But then he goes on to say this, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. For out of the heart, don't miss that, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But Jesus says to eat with unwashed hands. That doesn't defile a man. They were missing it, weren't they? What defiles a man is what comes out of the mouth. Now listen to me. What comes out of the mouth starts in the heart. You ever heard someone say, I didn't mean that. Or, you know, I probably shouldn't say this. I'm going to say it anyway. If you start it with that, it might be best not to go on. Just take a, take a breath, take a moment and say, you know what, I just said that, so I'm not going to say it. If your heart is not right with God, if your heart is not pure, eventually it will come out of your mouth. We have to make sure that we guard our mouth, our tongue. And before we can do that, we have to guard our heart. We have to hide the word of God in our heart that we might not sin against him. Psalm 119.11 And so as James describes the tongue, he said it's that which destroys, it's that which defiles. The third, it's that which is deadly. It is full of deadly poison. The psalmist will talk about his, his enemies. He said they sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The deadly poison of asp or vipers is under their lips. The apostle Paul would allude to this as well. Romans 3 and verse 13. And so when we speak, we can do a lot of good or we can do a lot of bad. And we've got to understand that. We've got to be careful. What we say, how we say it, when we say it, to who we say it to. It's so important to consider the description of the tongue. That which destroys, that which defiles, that which is deadly. As we work through this text, before we look at the application, let's consider verses 9 through 12. The danger that must be realized. 
James, speaking of the tongue, says, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. In other words, those who are made in God's image, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Again, James being the preacher that he was, with those great illustrations, two things that we must realize considering the danger of the tongue is inconsistency and hypocrisy. How inconsistent is it to bless our God and Father, but with the same tongue curse those who are made in the image of God? How inconsistent to come and, and to sing, Oh, how I love Jesus, and then to go and badmouth somebody out in the world. That's inconsistent. And that's a danger we must realize with the tongue. What about the hypocrisy? Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. Remember James 1.8, the double-minded man, unstable in all his ways? He, he was unstable because he was going to God, but he was lacking faith in prayer. Well, here we consider someone who's a double-tongued man, if you will. The same mouth that says, I love the Lord, is the same mouth that curses those who Jesus died for. James says, my brethren, these things, the inconsistency and the hypocrisy, ought not so to be. We as Christians have got to realize the danger. And we've got to make sure we put a guard on our tongues. And so James, through this text, verses 1 through 12, discusses the discipline required. We notice the description revealed. And we've noticed the danger that must be realized. And with our time remaining this morning, I want to do something. I don't do this very often, but sometimes when I'm studying, I like to make an acronym of a word. I like to take the, a letter and come up with a word that, that comes into that. So I've decided to do that with the word tongue. And hopefully by doing this, it will be beneficial for us. It's something that will help us as we leave this place today to make sure we're using our tongues the way that God intended us to use them. First, with the letter T, we consider the word tame. You must tame the tongue. I want to ask you something. Paul knows the answer. He, might, he said he might blurt it out. I'm going to ask him not to if you don't mind. What is the most dangerous animal in the world? If you're like me, if you're trying to, if there's no ball game on, I may pop up Netflix and, and find the most dangerous animals. There's one, 72 most dangerous animals in the world. And as soon as I see that it's only found in Australia, I'm okay. I can keep watching it. But if it lights up South Georgia, I turn it off, you know. 72 most dangerous animals in the world. Some of them are surprising. Some of them are not. A snake, a shark, spider. We can, those that start with the letter S, you know, we can start, we think about those things. What's the most dangerous animal in the world? Pound for pound, based on their instinct, the most dangerous animal in the world is your house cat. A house cat, pound for pound, tendency, instinct to kill the house cat. 70% kill rate. When you look at the, the family, the feline family, the leopard's kill rate, 20%. So a cat, if you're going to let them go out, what do they do? If you let them go outside, they're going to bring back all kinds of stuff, won't they? Birds, bugs, you name it. 70% of the time, the only reason the kill rate isn't higher 
is because they like to play with their prey. And if they kill it, then the game's over. But what else do we know about cats? They'll sit right in your lap, won't they? They'll take a nap with you. They'll walk. Uh, I had a cat named Apollo who used to fall in front of me all the time. But cats, we, we think about them being gentle and tamed. Think about this with the tongue. Our tongue can, can be something that's the most dangerous thing in the world or it can be tamed. It can be gentle. Again, we must practice self-control and be disciplined if we're going to tame the tongue the right way. James even alludes to this. He, he speaks of all these animals, even animals in the sea that can be tamed. But the tongue takes a lot of effort. We must be able to tame it. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, we have the works of the flesh. And Paul says the works of the flesh are evident. Which are these? And he gives a list. And one of them in the list is outbursts of wrath. Angry words. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. So T in tongue is for tame. If we're going to use it to the glory of God, we must learn how to tame it. The letter O, we consider opportunity. Opportunity. Do we realize the power of the tongue? The opportunity we have to do much good or the opportunity we have to destroy? There was a saying in war times, loose lips sink ships. And you think of a statement that can be made and, and that could uh, allow another country to come and invade. Well, that rings true today as well. To do good or to do evil, to build or to destroy. My baseball coach at Freed Hardman said, make a decision today, are you going to be a fountain or a drain? In other words, am I going to help to build people up or am I going to tear people down? That all resides in the power of the tongue. I opened up with this verse this morning. Death and life and the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruits, Proverbs 18, 21. In Proverbs 15, the Proverbs writer says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but what does a harsh word do? It stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. So again, look at the opportunity, look at the contrast. With my mouth, I have an opportunity to do a lot of good, or unfortunately, I can do a lot of bad if I'm not careful. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Proverbs 21, 23. What's the flip side of that? If I don't guard my mouth, if I don't guard my tongue, my soul's in danger of being in a lot of trouble. Not just in this life, but even in the next. With the letter N, we want to think about negative uses of the tongue. And I have five for you very quickly. Five negative uses followed by five good uses. The first one is lying. How did sin enter the world? Gibson and Garrett, we're going to talk about this in class tomorrow. I'll give you a heads up. Satan changed one word and brought sin into the world. You shall not surely die. You think of all the problems that sin has caused, it all started with this method, the lie. Satan, Jesus said, is the father of lies, a murderer from the beginning, John 8, 44. How does God feel about lying? He hates lying lips, Proverbs 6, 16 through 18. And make no mistake, Revelation 21, 8, the cowardly, it begins that list. How's it end? All liars shall have their place in the fire, which is the second death. Lying. Profanity. You know, for the child of God to use curse words, 
to, to, to steal from James, the, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. For a Christian to come out and to use curse words and to use filthy language is very inconsistent with how a Christian ought to speak. Unfortunately, in a, in a fit of rage, in a fit of uh, road rage maybe, and, and maybe an anger that you have, and you come out with a, a string of curse words, that ought not to happen with a Christian. Are we going to mess up sometimes? Are we going to say things we don't really mean to say at the moment? Yes, the heat of the moment will happen. But if we understand these things ahead of time, we can guard our hearts and guard our mouths, hopefully to speak the right way. In Ephesians 4.29, the sister passage, Colossians 3.8, let filthy communication be far from your mouth. Keep that corrupt word from your mouth. So lying, profanity, what about gossip? Good thing we don't have a problem with this in the church today. Unfortunately, we do. Gossip. We can't wait to hear what happened to so-and-so. Or we hop on the phone and we can't wait to talk about so-and-so. Again, from James, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. The Proverbs writer has a lot to say about tail-bearing, and I wanted to put the references there, but the one that jumps out the most is 1 Timothy chapter 5. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy about widows indeed. He said they're idle. Instead of going to work, they're idle. They're sitting at home. They have nothing else to do but to be busybodies and to gossip, talking about things which they ought not to be discussing. 1 Timothy 5, 11 through 13. Gossip is a real problem. And it's a negative use of the tongue. Going back to our, the hymn that we sang, angry words. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun come down on your wrath. Ephesians 4 and verse 26. In that heat of anger, in that moment, brethren, it's best not to speak. It's best not to speak. Now, if you need to drop down and do 10 push-ups, do it. If you need to stop and go outside and walk around for a minute, do it. You'll be glad that you did. Because once those words are out, you can't get them back. Let me say a quick word to the young people about social media. Once you type that and hit send, you can't get it back. It's out there. People will hold on to it. People will save it. People will use it against you. So think before you speak. Think before you type. Think before you hit send. Think about these negative uses of the tongue. Finally, number five. Backbiting, Romans 1 and verse 30. And that platform of evil, this is one of the things listed. To backbite is to slander as to ruin someone's reputation. Again, as Christians, this must not be said about us. Lying, profanity, gossip, angry words, and backbiting. Let's make sure that these things don't describe us as Christians. But then let's think about some good uses of the tongue. Again, I want to give five to, to counteract the five negative First one's to give an answer. This is very real for the faithful of God in Afghanistan right now. And that's who Peter's writing to. He's writing to those who are under persecution of the sword. He's writing to those who are being put to death for their Christianity. And he says, you be ready always to give an answer of the hope that lies within you with meekness and with fear. So we can use our tongues in a good way to give an answer. I'm a Christian, this is why. Here's what I did to become a child of God. Here's why I'm going to have faith. And here's why I'm going to trust the God of heaven. That's a good use of the tongue. Another great use is to confess the name of Christ. For with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 9 to 10. As the eunuch declared, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Those are the best words you'll ever utter from your mouth. To confess the name of Christ. Number three, something we've done today 
to sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, to make melody in your heart, Ephesians 5.19, to sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, Colossians 3.16, to offer up the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips to our God in heaven, Hebrews 13.15. Number four, to confess our sins to God. And, and please understand that this is a part of walking in the light. 1 John 1.7, if we keep on walking in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, will keep on cleansing us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have no sin, we lie and deceive ourselves and do not practice the truth. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So walking in the light is not sinless perfection. It's faithful direction. It's messing up, but you repent, you pray, and you keep going forward. That's what we have here. And so it's a good thing to confess our sins to God when we mess up as God's people. He's faithful and just to forgive us. And we do our best not to do it again, and we keep moving forward. And then number five, to approach God in prayer. To pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians five seventeen. It's a verse that, that's not up here, but one that just came to mind. You think about the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10. He said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And so prayer is your heart's desire through words. We're approaching the God of heaven with our tongue, with our words. And so again, some good uses of the tongue to counteract those negative ones. Two more points, and the lesson will be yours. First, consider understanding. Do we have the proper understanding of what we can do with our tongues? Again, going to the Word of God, Ecclesiastes 5.2. Listen to this wise man, what he has to say. Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. Do you see how the inspired writers connect the tongue with the heart every time? For God is in heaven, and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. That is some great inspired advice, isn't it? Let your words be few. I know some of you are looking at me right now and say, you need to heed that, preacher. But when we, when we come into some situations in life, it's better to let our words be few. When you want to lash out at your spouse, wouldn't it be better to say, I love you, I forgive you, let's move on. Or, or maybe your child's just running up the walls, literally running up the walls, to look at them and say, listen, I love you, hope you know that, after you've gotten on to them. There are times in life when things will be so much better if our words were few. And so let's remember that. Let's have that understanding. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Again, out of your heart is going to come what you really believe. Who you really are will come out eventually, going back to what Jesus said. By those things which proceed out of the mouth, starts in the heart. That's what defiles a man, Matthew 15, 18. And please heed the warning from Jesus right here. By your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. If you don't think that the way you use your tongue will affect where you spend eternity, please read that again. That's why this is important. That's why it's serious for us to understand how we are to use our tongues. We come to our final letter this morning, the letter E. Five things we can do to use our tongues for the glory of God. Number one, use it to edify. Let us pursue the things which make for peace and those things which do edify one another. 
Romans 14, 19. Let's use our tongues to build up. The word edify carries the idea of completing a building that's in the process of being built. You're building up someone. There's a lot of people in today's world with all that's going on that need that word of encouragement, that need that card, that need that text, that need that call. Let's be people that edify others with our mouths. Certainly use the tongue to exalt. The psalmist said, I exalt you, O Lord. Let your name be exalted. O come and let us magnify the name of our God together. Let us exalt his name together. Psalm 34 and verse 3. All these passages carry the idea of exalting, lifting on high the name of God. Number three, let's use our tongue to encourage. Anxiety is in the heart of man, but a good word brings about that encouragement. Proverbs 12, 25. You never know when somebody's struggling with anxiety. When somebody's struggling because of what's going on with their loved one or what they're going on, they don't want anybody else to see it. You never know how far that good word can go. So, hey, you know what? I've noticed that you're really doing good in this. I, I, I thank you for doing such a good job. You never know how far that can go. So let's remember that this week and throughout our lives. Let's use our time to educate, teaching and admonishing one another as we sing, Colossians 3.16. But no doubt when we preach the gospel, Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, when it's popular, when it's not popular. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Let's use our tongues to educate others, to speak those things which make for sound doctrine, healthy teaching, Titus 2.1. Finally, let's remember our example as Christians. We've probably read that verse I don't know how many times. I've probably said it from this pulpit I don't know how many times. But I want you to notice how it connects with how we speak. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Let your light so shine before men they may see your good works and glorify your Father. What does salt do? It preserves, it gives flavor. How does this connect to the tongue? Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt. Let's remember that what we say, how we say it, reflects our example. The way that I talk reflects that I truly am living for Jesus or that I'm not. Let's remember these five things. To use our tongues to the glory of God, to edify, to exalt, to encourage, to educate, and to set a good example for others. It may be the case this morning that you're not a Christian. This morning will be a great opportunity to use your tongue to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. If you believe that based on the evidence from God's Word, if you're willing to repent of your sins, you can make that great confession. You can be baptized into Christ and have all your sins washed away. And you can rise to walk in newness of life. And we would love to assist you this morning. But it may be that as a Christian, you struggle with the tongue. Ask for God's help. James says the tongue is an unruly evil. No man can tame it, but guess what? God can. God can. Give it to God. Three verses I want you to remember if you struggle as a Christian with taming the tongue. First, David says, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I'll restrain my mouth with the muzzle while the wicked are before me, Psalm 39.1. But notice later he recognized, I need God's help in doing this. First he says, I will guard. But now what's he doing? He's depending on God. Lord, you set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Finally, this is a verse that I try to pray back to God before I preach every Sunday morning. 
Psalm 19 and verse 14. If you will pray this prayer before you have a discussion, before you go to work, before you sit down with your spouse, with your children, this is the kind of mindset we need to have. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my Redeemer. Psalm 19, 14. We would love to pray for you, pray with you, and to help you if you have trouble as a Christian taming the tongue. But let's make sure we allow the Lord to have his own way with us. Once you submit to the gospel call, once you come back home, as together we stand and sing.